Hey everyone, it's Brian from Studio Mirai, and we're back here with another episode of The Wave, the podcast where we talk to builders who are building on SWE. And today we have a very, very special guest. We have Evan Chang, Chang, sorry, who is the CEO and co-founder of Mist and Labs. Today we're just going to talk about his his background, uh, how he got into Web three, his roadmap, and how he joined, how he created. Miston Labs, the company, and just talk a bit about what they're building now. Um, so first, I want to kind of set the stage. I want to get some info on your te- technical background. I, I see a lot of people on Twitter posting about you and stuff that you've done on done at Facebook and Apple in the past. Just want to hear your side of the story, starting with Apple, I guess, right? Hey, yeah, yeah. Hey, thanks, Brian. Very, very happy to be here. I you know Studio Mirai has been a great supporter of Sweets. It's exciting to be here. Yeah, I mean, a little bit about my background. I, I'm a contrarian, you know, by nature. I've been like that my entire life. And Apple was one of the funny, fun things, right? Funny things. So, you know, my academic background is funny. I never finished high school. But I got a bachelor degree and two major minor in like three years because 4.0 and everything like because I kind of want to prove myself. And then I went to PhD and dropout program and dropout after writing four chapters of my thesis and realized because I kind of realized it was like not going to move the needle and just like literally got up and left. So being the person I was, I kind of looked down at big companies. Right, my first job was with a semiconductor startup. I was pushing the boundary and doing like a VOIW architecture, doing programmable media processor, very, very new back in the early 1990s. And, and I didn't apply to like big company like Microsoft, the world, right? I, I didn't even think about sending my resumes to the biggest tech company at the time. I want to do small company because I, I want to do something very, very different. I kind of like, you know, just like young and impressionable and and believe I can do anything and I wanted to make a difference. So I wanted to join a startup Um, and, and funny things, right? I mean, I I stayed at the first startup uh, being very, very stubborn, trying to save the company, trying to do everything myself. Right. I mean, I woke up one day and then gutted the software team was only a few of us left. Mm. Right. And I just said, okay, it doesn't matter. I don't need that. I'm going to do everything myself. Tough it out for seven years. The company was eventually bought. Not much of a financial outcome, you know. But hey, also I thought I learned a lot, and I did it. Try to do another startup this time in Silicon Valley. The first one in Seattle, the second one is in Silicon Valley. This time I wised up, right? I had some experience after one year. I said, not going to work. This is not the right group of people to build a successful company. Well, let me this time look around. Right? I mean, yeah. I, this time I married and had kids right yeah. have kids and and it's kind of different um i sent out some resume and some of the friends were trying to get me into another big company it wasn't quite the size that apple at the time is now a major major company and i thought i had the easiest interview in the world and i aced everything it's like this is so easy surely they're going to give me a offer the next day i didn't get an offer for a few days and then i was puzzled and then i went and ask my friends, like, what's going on? So they say, well, you piss off one of the interviewer who was tech lead because you were too small. Right? You were like <laughs> copy and you say, yeah, here's a better solution. Yeah. 
I was like stunned, right? Okay, yeah. so fine, right? Let me prove myself. I'm going to send my resume everywhere. Send it to Apple and then immediately reply and interview a couple of days later and they gave me a job, right? So I went to Apple, was hired to hack on compiler, right? That's my domain and I, they, they were using GCC, right? Old 19s from the 1960s, 70s. Oh, but Apple very depending on got there and I look around and say, like, oh my God, right? What are they doing, right? This thing is boring. They're like polishing the tour, right? And I met up, I think it was funny. It's literally met Chris Lander, who was the inventor of LVM yeah. in the restroom. Mm-hmm. Like we're just oh, like, really? <laughs> yeah, I was like, get to chatting is what are you working and all that? And it's like, yeah, I'm working on this thing, LVM, you know, uh-huh. it's kind of a research project, but you know, like here's my concept. We should hear what I want to do. I went to the VP uh, of the division right away and say, Chris and I are going to GM the thing, replace GCC and everything depending on in one year. If you just give me the letter two of us and maybe hire one more, one other person, like, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll do this GMing a year. Otherwise, I go to walk right and, yeah. and i was summoned to hr for my attitude but then <laughs> and 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 lo and behold you know so this is sort of my startup within a big company moment and i we did it right yeah yeah we we like basically kill ourselves and did everything and we took over took over not just apple internally then you don't took over the world this is the kind of the Really, really hard stuff. Very people people want to hack on, and this new concept, right? You know, compo- you know, modular compiler, right? It's kind of like funny, like blockchain these days. Everybody talking modular, but there we really had a concept, right? We want to do just in time, right? We want to do static compilation. We want to be components for plugging everything. Can be part of IDE and anything you want. Program analysis. Mm-hmm. We don't build programming language on top of it, right? So that was my thing, right? Was my breakout moment going from you know, in obscure startup to do something that actually reached billions of devices, if not human. You add up all the Apple devices, you add up all the other smart devices, use it. I don't know how many people human has reached, right? So that's yeah. that's the thing, right? And that tell you something about myself. I yeah. wanted to do something hard and I'm contrary and I don't like to keep on doing the same thing other people can do. And I develop a, a taste for for programming language and other other things like that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, just an in- interesting thing that I'm interested in, I guess. Like when I've used stuff like GCC in the past, it's all it's been in the context of compiling some source code. I actually didn't know that stuff like that was on devices because typically, you know, they would be installing stuff that's already compiled, right? So, yeah. uh, can you talk a bit about that? <laughs> Just, well, I, mean, I want to learn thing, myself. Right? I mean, yeah, a code generation, dynamic yeah. code generation is everywhere, right? It's like, you know, Solana use SVN, use LVN, right? Yeah. And backhand. Code generation back then, the first thing we did at Apple was kind of doing dynamic code generation for OpenGL. Mm-hmm. Um, so the older graphic card can so doesn't have the native support for some yeah. function. So you kind of have to dynamically generate that functionality and all that. And that's that's what is that's our breakout moment because Apple was going through this transition to 64-bit Intel. They did not. They have to rewrite yet another just-in-time compiler for the new architecture. They were like, oh my God, we can't do this, right? We say, you know, we got the, the modular thing that's like a plug, can plug in. You know, it's not just a compiler like a GCC running oh, I see. on this, you know, on command line, right? This yeah, yeah. Is, you can, it's a component for code generation. Right. Oh, okay. Um, right? 
right? So that's the thing, right? The, the breaking. And so everything uses, right? You know, like uh, things you think about for, for you know, graphics ticket, right? Uh, Apple's, remember when they introduced their own ARM-based CPU, everything yeah, yeah. works seamlessly yeah. using jitting, right? Yeah. Dynamic compilation and code generations everywhere. I see, I see. Very interesting. Yeah, okay, so so you left Apple and then you went over to, to Facebook and you got involved in a blockchain project there. Can can you speak about that? Yeah, I mean, I stayed at Apple for 10 years and then I got recruited to Facebook to basically build their programming language and runtime organization. They had some efforts, but this, you know, somewhat disjointed. I there and spent the first uh, two and a half years three years to just build out the organization and got to the point where it's a sizable organization, lots and lots of people on a, you know, well-run, everything was good, you know, kind of got boring for me. And I heard about this blockchain things, cryptocurrencies, you know, got some Bitcoin, play around with Ethereum and look at Ethereum and say, like, oh my God, right? Look at Solidity first. It's like, this is something I actually it's terrible, right? This is <laughs> it's actually I know, right? I mean, yeah, more blockchains and stuff, but as a programming language for something that's has to be provably correct, smart contracts, mm -hmm. this is absolutely the wrong way to go. Yeah, this is insalvageably, insalvageable disaster, right? Once you introduce the concept of delegation, dynamic dispatch, you're gonna have interfaced programming model. You're all wrong. You go down the wrong path. You will not be able to solve this, right? Mm -hmm. No amount of static analysis can cover dynamic dispatch. Yeah. You're going to have loopholes and loopholes. You're going to have reentrancy attack. All these things are unsolvable. Yeah. So I thought, okay, this is something I can do something about, right? I couldn't find a way to enter into it, right? When, you know, kind of go going back to the way I do things, I want to do things 10x better. I want to do the best I can. I did not have the team. I couldn't recruit the team because this is such a new industry. You know, the best people I know of in various domain would not want to touch this, right? It's too mm -hmm. new, crazy. So what I did was I ran the internal enthusiast group, right? Invite like Sergey from Chainlink to give a talk, right? Mm -hmm. Invite other people to give talks and stuff. Starting getting some notice. Lo and behold, David Marcus, Morgan Ballard wanted to do Libra and they recruited people. And obviously I was on the radar and I volunteered. And, and and then I end up joining the project as you know, sort of like running R and D. Everything obviously related to developer platform. Obviously, that was my now brought brought on some of the big best researcher across distributed system cryptography. Again, programming language and, and also static analysis, like to really really build out the dream team. I want to ta tackle all these different fields. I wanted to build something that that lasts a generation. So so that was sort of how I entered into that project and, and end up running, running sort of, you know, we, we create a move, right? Sam Blackshear uh, join. We look at using Wazen, try to fix up other things. Nothing works. Nothing can meet the bar that Libra wanted to have. So we create a move. We build all, you know, hire people to invent new consensus algorithm or change consensus, start doing research around parallel execution, think, think about different kinds of consensus mechanism, lots and lots of innovation on the cryptography side, crypto agility, which is these concepts are part of suite that make it possible to do all the things it does, like ZK logging. We did 
things like uh, proof of solvency, you know, lots and lots of sort of industry, you know, kind of lots of innovation that had industry mm-hmm. impact. Yeah. So now we're going to dig a bit into SWE, but but before we do that, I kind of want to like lay the background for how I got into SWE. Like I've been involved in blockchain since like 2016. My background before that, I worked in the arts. I was sound designer on Broadway for quite a few years. Worked in Las Vegas at some shows there as well. And I went to school for music business. And during that time, I kind of got to know about just how messed up the industry is in terms of the distribution of power between fans, artists, and service providers in the middle. It turns out that the majority of the capital, I would say the power is locked in the middle. Mm -hmm. And it's ironic because the entertainment industry can only exist if fans and artists exist. But yet they're often the ones that are most screwed. (laughs) And it's just funny to me, like when I was watching my professors and they were like teaching this stuff and I was just always questioning like, but why are you trying to keep feeding into the system? Like you're teaching the next generation of artists to start to work in the business. Uh, but the business is just an entire conflict of interest. So like I walked out from from school thinking like I want to change something because I kind of had a, when I grew up, I was very much a nerd and I was involved in tech. I went to school, music business, but like I could, I had that perspective to to think like, okay, maybe technology can can change this someday. It wasn't really until like 2018, 2019, where uh, I started digging into smart contracts because finally there's a system that you don't have to trust, right? Because it's trustless. <laughs> so it's like, oh, this is interesting. Then I kind of got into things and started building something on Avalanche and quickly ran into an issue. Cause like, I'm trying to build something for artists and fans and a lot of the stuff that artists and fans like sell and buy from each other are objects. So you could look at like a music file, a ticket, like all of these things that transfer back and forth are objects. But I kept on running into this issue when I was building on the C chain. It's like, there was no way to represent these objects. And I just kept on running into roadblocks. I felt like I was trying to invent a mechanism to represent objects, like an abstraction on top of this account-based blockchain. And it's like, I'm certainly not technical enough to do that. I'm more like, I understand the use case and I understand the technology, but I'm not someone who is capable of coding this like, primitive from scratch. So at the same time, when you're working on a consumer use case like that, you really only have one chance. Like you launch and if people lose all their money, it's game over. It's not like building a project for people in Web3 where they seem to be okay (laughs) with losing all their money like multiple times a year. You know, oh, everything got hacked. You know, I just, I'll just try it again next time. Like that's not how it works in the real world. So at that point, I felt like the technology was not really there yet. Uh, and fast forward to maybe last year, I started to learn more about SWE and then I saw this term, objects. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, and at that moment, it was when I started to dive in. And one thing that I like really love about SWE is that the whole platform itself 
feels like a product where it kind of reminds me of Ruby on Rails in some ways where it's like you just go into the ecosystem and you have everything there for you to be able to build anything you want. You know, there's something that you can handle off. You know, it's SWE is certainly faster than Rails, of course. <laughs> I'm not trying to make the comparison on speed, but you know, you have a primitive for auth, you're able to express objects, the transaction speed is quite fast, the language is very secure, and you know, just feels like a very cohesive thing, which I've never really sensed from other blockchains. Do you think that your past work, uh, maybe in Apple and Facebook, like two of the most, I guess, product-driven companies in existence, you know, do you think the culture that you inherited there uh, influenced the creation of SWE in many ways? Uh, yes, but not directly, right? I didn't go out and design SWE Move, mm -hmm. but I have appreciation for understanding the the concept, right? I, Anybody who has used Sweet Move, if you're coming from sort of like normal software, right? Yeah. Programming kind of background, you see this is almost like going from assembly language where you have to use logic to represent anything mm -hmm. to something that the, the language and runtime take care of everything for you. Yeah, yeah. Right. In theory, you can build any kind of abstraction, right? I've done that in the past, right? I hack on the lowest possible level. C, you can abstract everything, but then you need runtime enforcement for these concepts, ownership and all that. Like, that is basically impossible to build on something like Solidity. Mm -hmm. right? The cost make it, even somebody smart enough to figure out the cost will be way too high. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so I can say I, I hire the right people. You know, I surround myself with the right people. And this started, you know, throughout my career, right? I built a reputation to be able to track these people. At, at the Libra project, def definitely surround myself with the right people who have this maybe the similar understanding. You know, you see the writing, you see it. Like, this is so primitive. Solidity, everything else is so primitive. Mm -hmm. This just feels off, an order of magnitude off in expressiveness, in security, in everything so once we get a chance to get together and basically shed all the 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 limits placed upon us we can build something from the ground up and that that results mm -hmm. sweet and it wasn't like we knew exactly right there were actually exploration there were many aha moments but we knew at a high level right conceptually this is something we want to build that's really really different from any other blockchain from not just how the blockchain work um, you know the, the the consensus everything else how you process transaction but but also the developer experience yeah. everything has to come together and and definitely my our background you know made was was what's needed yeah because we know you know for, for example one of the things you touched on earlier right it's like trustless right that's the concept we kind of disagree with it's not you always have to trust something you have to trust software uh, so distributed trust right so we can think about these things from challenges in the space, a lot of time you see narrative that's sort of most, almost like force upon mm -hmm. our developers and consumer. Yeah. We somehow expect consumer to put up with all the complexity of blockchain. Yeah. We kind of have to, you know, when we you know sell some of the concept of decentralized tech you know applications, we sort of force some of these concepts onto the product builder. And that's the wrong way to think about. Right any business 
especially something that you want to challenge the status quo. Yeah. Uh, we, we, our combined experience and background allow us to think of things from multiple angles, including, hey, what does developer need to do their job? Why should they care about this in the first place? What yeah. are the problems they're trying to solve? How do we service them? Mm -hmm. How do they, we enable them to service their consumers? Um, so absolutely, our background is, is, is a huge influence. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like what you said about forcing experiences on the users, because to me, that's exactly what Web3 has been up until now, uh, where the users are expected to install wallet in their browser, first of all, like you lose 99% of the people right there. Um, and, and to me, like, I just don't get it, right? Because, because like, right now, we're kind of working on a product, and we're thinking a lot about onboarding. Um, and we've kind of devised a system that like, there's so many moments in the past, like four weeks, where I just came to realize this is only possible on a suite. Like, some some other chain can pay us like two million dollars to to build there but it's like we can't based on the feature set and the experience that we want to build we just can't so like we've kind of come up with a system where um we want the user to be able to interact with our platform via an object that can then be owned by different addresses or can be borrowed or something by different addresses because like the thing we're trying to accomplish there's like we know that the chance that a user will retain the same address for their whole lifetime is very low. And in some cases, like we're also relying on a service that basically lets us manage the private keys on behalf of the user to be able to kind of make a more seam seamless experience. So we have a way for the object to delegate certain scopes of permissions to different addresses. So we can say like, uh, address that we're managing for you, it can do everything except for withdraw funds. In order to withdraw funds, you need to register another address. And Z ZK login is like a great way to do that. Because like we can offer a way for our customers to be able to maintain a self custodial address without ha having to do like a really, oh, back up your private keys, make sure you keep it in the safe. Don't lose these 12 words or you're going to lose all your money. Like, no. So we're able to say like, okay, you can re register that address and use that to, and that address basically has the permission scope to withdraw funds. And all the interactions are attributed to this object, which is controlled by addresses. So like on our platform, the addresses are not the identity the object that different addresses are controlling, that's your identity. Mm -hmm. So like stuff like that is like not possible on any other chains. And this cognitive kind of dissonance that I see in crypto is just so absurd to me because it's so obvious to me <laughs> as someone who's trying to build for like normal people, like it's not going to work. Like the, the existing model is not going to work. I want to get your, your take on like, because don't get me wrong. A lot of people, the founders and the teams of like the top blockchains are no doubt extremely intellectual people. They're they're smart. But why do they not see this? Is like, is it a problem of like they sunk too much cash into the existing system? So they almost have to make it work? Or is it like a philosophical thing? What's what's your take on that? It's a good question, right? I mean, if you look at history, right, how, you know, these days you don't think about it. everybody just get on the internet, you know, the hundred, everything touches the internet. But back in the old days, 
internet is a bunch of geeks, you know, you know, doing things that's very, very inconvenient. It's very hard. Even later on, when it's more open up to consumer, it's it's prodigy, it's mm -hmm. CompuServe, it's then later on AOL, right? I still yeah. run into people at AOL email comps. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, this is how things progress. Yeah. You don't really understand it until you you that aha that something new really gained the weight, right? Uh, I think a lot of people probably intuitively understand this is very, very hard. This is not quite what the end game should be. But when you're in the middle of you try to do the best you can and, and you're and it's hard, right? I mean the challenge with this space is it's to be frank, right, for, for people building infrastructure, it's too easy to make money. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Right. A lot of the time, right? You do derivative work. How many of these blockchains, L1, L2, so like are borrowing from work other people have already done very very few people projects actually have the guts to do something brand new from the ground up i mean we always have you know a lot of appreciation and and, and respect for example the solana people back in the days they were the one that want to do something brand new rather than yet another mm -hmm. derivative work kudos to them even some of the other ones you know sort of borrow parts of what other people have done Yes, you always stand on the you know shoulders giants, right? That you can move forward, but to do something this dramatically different, right? Really, where everybody's focusing on well, how do I solve this problem, scalability problem, security yeah. problem, all that. Who is going to come in and say we want to change the way you conceptualize about decentralized applications, mm -hmm. smart contract, completely different programming model? Right? That hasn't really gotten onto the sort of even people don't even realize it's a problem, except for the people outside, right? Sometimes there is a benefit, right? This is perhaps my, my, my history, my experience at Apple. Apple doesn't really try to be the first. Oh yeah, no. They observe and yeah. try to do something dramatically yeah. better from a user consumer yeah. perspective, experience right. perspective. This is similar to that. Yeah. Like we're trying to do something that's dramatically better for developers mm -hmm. with the understanding the developers serve consumer, so yeah. it's going to translate the consumer experience. But to have that realization to even coming up with 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 solutions, extremely hard. We didn't do it when we were at Facebook. It takes years experience and actually have that aha moment and have even some of the low level protocol already built out like fast pay mm -hmm. uh, that allow this kind of a you know non consensus fast pass. For us to force ourselves to say, okay, how do we adopt this in fully general programming model? And and then with the combination of all that and the willingness to take take the risk and do something different and the ability to conceptualize things and, and design something new yeah. for us to get here. And this is how technology progresses. And 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 yeah, I mean I don't I think what's unique with this space is just money value attached mm. to what you build before yeah. you even have, you develop, de deliver impact to the consumer. Right. What you create has a lot of money, so you create this maximalism. You're trying to serve your community, all the people holding on your tokens. They care about it. You kind of force down that path, right? So yeah. you're not going to see many projects that disrupt themselves. Right. Say, so away what we've done in the past, right? We're going to do something new. It's very, very rare, right? Because they behold it to people holding on to their tokens. They're, do you think in some ways there might be like a knowledge arbitrage of sorts, like where a lot of people in Web3 don't understand Web3, 
but at the same time, they're able to invest in Web3. And I think that like you see a lot of VCs funding infrastructure, but not so many funding products on top of that infrastructure. Like everyone has an L2 now, it seems. And do you feel like that might be because the growth metrics to verify, you know, the quote unquote success of an infrastructure layer is in some ways like easier to obtain than a consumer app, maybe, you know, you can measure it based on the market cap of the blockchain. You can measure it based on the number of wallets, stuff which can be easily faked. But also those metrics can be leveraged by the media to create certain kind of narratives, you know, to recycle more people and more money into the system. Do do you feel like there is like some degree of that? There is definitely some degree of that, right? But it's not, you know, kind of we cannot, you know, sort of, you know, they're different type of investor, they're different, just like they're different, different kind of builders. And I think some of it, you know, again, this is just so new, it's very hard to understand what that look like. Yeah. And it's very hard for people to think of from where these things are just infrastructure, the thing that only matters are product and service, Yeah, normal human consumers. And, and you almost want to shy away from that because what you build is so valuable infrastructure mm-hmm. side because you when you think about it, it's like where you're going to be invisible what we build is invisible is in the background servicing servicing products you know consumer won't even know they're using whatever blockchain right a little scary thought right yeah you almost let, make yourself feel like less valuable so you you kind of paint you know sort of corner yourself in a lot of way right you 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 end up limit your the size of your market as a result because it's very hard to take the ambition say forget servicing just the maybe let's just say you know whatever two million of customers potential addressable market mm-hmm. the early adopter that enthusiastic about all these things that have value attached to it we're going to service the hundreds of millions the billions of people who don't care about your blockchain at all they just want to have a better experience and that better experience is not even well defined it's not even understood by right or it's not even imagined by yeah. most people right people if you ask all these vcs all the builder all the web street people mm-hmm. very few can describe what that experience would look like why would that benefit consumer why would it benefit developer uh, in the first place so so asking them to focus on products investing companies or startup that the dare to imagine mm. that completely new experience it's scary yeah it would be so much safer to keep on pumping money into <laughs> right. something that gradually progress into yeah. better thing maybe somebody will figure it out and maybe when that moment happens there's going to be the rush to go fund those kind of projects like what we see yeah yeah today you know kind of don't blame them you want to be a pioneer, you put yourself out there. It's mm-hmm. very risky. It's really not for everyone. Right. Yeah. I guess in some ways, like investing in L1s in a Web3 context is sort of like being able to invest in HTTP or something on, you know, mm-hmm. the, tr- the traditional internet context, you know, but, you know, of course, Web3 does use HTTP in the background, but just for the purposes of making a comparison, the ability to invest in a protocol is kind of a new new thing, I guess. So yeah, I guess it can be confusing. Uh, but okay, so last thing I want to chat with you about, um, trying to do a little brainstorming. I have this thesis where I feel 
like Web3 and crypto just got the whole marketing thing wrong. Uh, it's marketed very poorly to pretty much everyone. Uh, the demographics that I'm most connected to are music people who hate Web3 because they're driven by this notion that, you know, they heard on the news that Bitcoin is bad for the environment. So then, you know, they make the connection Bitcoin equals blockchain, blockchain equals bad. Uh, they've heard so many stories about NFT scams. And the other demographic I kind of am exposed to on a daily basis, uh, you know, I've worked at several tech companies, uh, I would say in the Web2 space. And there's always this kind of culture where uh, people look at blockchain and assume it is a scam. But at the same time, like the fun the fundamental principles of blockchain kind of make it uh, generic and like no biases, right? Like if you don't have a bias, it can't scam. So like blockchain is just this thing that exists. It's the use cases that are scams. And this notion, I feel like, is not effectively communicated. Uh, and I think a lot a big part of that is like NFT means non-fungible token. But most people, when they use that word, they're talking about profile pictures, which are not <laughs> NFTs. It's like if we would be describing emails as like SMTPs, you know, N no one calls them SMTPs, mm -hmm. but that's what people are doing in, mm -hmm. in blockchain now. And I feel like it's fueling this crazy thing because then I want to tell people the platform that I'm building to help the art artists and fans, it uses NFT technology, which it really does. You know, it uses non-fungible tokens to be able to do things that were not possible in the past, has nothing to do with these profile pictures. Yep. But because of the correlation, you know, the stigma is already there. Uh, so now we feel like we almost have to build out this Web 2-like experience. Doesn't mention any crypto stuff you know no staking we might call it like locking instead you know no nft we just call it you know a music rec record mm -hmm. but it uses that tech in the background and i almost feel like that's what we have to do you know we have to get them on board and then they get to experience the magical part of it and that magic then they're in the right frame of mind to be able to accept <laughs> that this is powered by web3 what are your thoughts on like how crypto has has been marketed and like I know that the top blockchains out there all have these programs that are intended to like fund NFTs but what they really mean is like they want to fund people to create PFP collections to you know make some kind of blockchain culture on their chain like no, so at no. the top they're getting it wrong too so how can we right at the mm -hmm. bottom, not get it wrong. Well, I mean, I will argue this whole space has done a great job marketing to the internal audience. That's the early adopters, the speculators, the people throwing money at these stocks right. sort of stuff, right? So that's how these projects can make a ton of money without sometimes without delivering value. Now, it does create this unfortunate sort of situation where that the rest of the world are looking at it skeptically. They feel skeptically and so they're now looking at it with disdain, right? I have friends who are like, or, co or former colleagues is like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing these scamming things? It's like, no, I'm building technology. Yeah. Let me show you what it empowers, enables.
in the future until until we get there is going to be a very very difficult story to tell to tell the story you have to demonstrate if you're going around and say decentralized technology is great for you you don't have to trust a centralized entity okay maybe they kind of get that part a little bit but most people trust centralized entity we put our money in the bank yeah it's rare for people to say oh my god the bank sucks they don't let me move my money when I need it, or they they're too slow or charge to me too much money until it hits them. Right. They don't. Money is one of those. You know. You know. It's very hard to imagine how it can be different because yeah. you need the bank, you need security. But then you. So so really, it comes down to telling a better story. What that is, and it's not using words like decentralized. People don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Trustless. Is, People don't know what that means. What Trustless to, sounds like a bad thing to most people. It's, it's actually a really bad thing. <laughs> yeah. What you want to talk about is like peer to peer, the relationship you know between the artists and the fans. Yeah, this intermediary. Right now, there's somebody in the middle. Their job is to help you facilitate this connection, facilitate the transfer of value, or facilitate a transaction. They see crime. They 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 control. As you say early on, the art. Or the music and the entertainment industry, Phil was this example. The label or the distributors are getting the most money out. The poor artists are not able to connect with the fans as easily unless yeah. they're Taylor Swift or the world. Right. And yeah. Our our, our kind of tagline at the moment is a uh, create and consume mu- musical experiences on your own yeah. terms. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. Right. What if you expand this to broadly to any kind of product? Yeah. I mean the product in service and consumer. And this is where what we should focus on. Let that do the talking. Mm-hmm. Enable builder to build the kind of new kind of experience where it makes it a lot easier to break out break out this wall garden. Right now most experience are wall garden type of experience. You trust your wall garden of TikTok to hold on to your information, your behavior information when you look at all that. You don't think about extracting it out. Or even YouTube's and all that, you may get some money in return if a lot of people see it, but most of the time you don't do. But these are all war garden experience. You know, you play a game, it's a war garden experience. Yeah. But in the outside, that a lot of the the physical world, you know, some of the brands are actually experimenting of breaking out the war garden. Nike and Adidas collaboration with other brands happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Brands are collaborating. And more and more company and brands want to work together to bring new kind of experience yeah. to the consumer. It's happening. That's what we focus on. How do we break down that experience? How do we change the way things are distributed? How do we change the role of some entity whose job is to provide some trust, custody your information? Bank is the example. They custody your fund. Yeah. They facilitate movement of money. Other website, a lot of these services facilitate custody your identity in a way, custody your information in some way that help facilitate that transfer. It's the same thing. You want to change that. You want to move more and more of those to software you can trust. Yeah. You can trust the software because they can be proven, proven to do exactly what they say. Exactly. Right. Update it. And the network behind it are distributing trust, not rather than one company running it, it's distributed to lots and lots of actors that have the economic sort of interest to being honest. Yeah. 
right? That's the model you should think about. But it is a hard thing to sell because most people are completely happy with it, mm-hmm. what they have to do. So you're gonna start have to start by making the experience richer. The ones that start experimenting with it can come from any industry, but they probably want would be the one they want to stand out because they offer that kind of experience. Their competitor or the existing incumbents or the dominant platforms don't allow that. That's when the magic happened. That's when people realize, okay, this is interesting. This is new. This is fresh. This allow me to take this to be in the middle coordinate. I end up hanging on to my asset that has meaning, has value in this world, and also has meaning and value in that world. And this two worlds can collaborate in some way. And I sit in the middle yeah. to coordinate. And that fundamentally changed the experience and relationship between these platform, these product, and their consumers. And why should and that's a richer experience good for the product builders. It's also better for them in other ways. It makes it easy for them to have that direct relationship yeah. with a consumer, which then they can solve the problem on engagement, retention, and they can figure out using that to referral program, whatever, to get more consumers as well. So it comes down to that. Developer side, you want to solve the problem of customer acquisition, customer retention, engagement, reward, and all that stuff. You want to solve monetization, all these problems. For the consumer side, you just want to give them a richer experience. Then they don't really care if it's using blockchains, NFTs, all these sort of things. They may have, you know, kind of, they may feel like they're allergic to. Yeah, right. Don't focus on the words, focus on the use case. Don't focus on the technology. This is how we're going to get to real product market fit for Web3. And this is also why Web3 and crypto are fundamentally different in a lot of ways. And people tend to conflict between the two. Hmm. So we're going for, right? We built three to go for this, to enable you guys, your team to build this kind of experience. But that's fundamentally, ultimately what's going to need to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just super grateful for for what you guys have built, you know, every sing- single day. Oh, like on a side note, I, I feel like since I had kids, it's like the biggest superpower in Web3, you know, because everything I do kind of grows through this filter of, will my kids be embarrassed about me, you know, in 18 years? Like, are they going to look back and, and see? Because everything we do is online now, you know, kids are going to be able to look at, you know, blog posts that I've written in the past or stuff that I've tweeted like stuff that I've worked on. It's not the case for me. You know, I didn't know what my mom and dad did in the past. They, they didn't have blogs. They didn't have their websites. So like, I feel like everything I do kind of goes through that filter. Of like, I don't want to be an embarrassment to my kids. Like kind of keeps, keeps me grounded in a way. And like, Sui so just ties into that so well because ne- never in the past have I felt like, oh, actually there is like a framework out there that lets me do what I want to do, you know, like stuff that I feel like will actually impact people. That, that yeah. That's great. I mean, and, and talk about appreciation. We appreciate developer like you that, that, you know, during hard times we, we say, Hey, you know, we, I mean, it's hard building a new platform is hard. Building a new community is hard. Building new technology is hard. But then we look to you and say, wow, we're, they are trying, they're going for it. They're trying to build something that, that have lasting impact. And then in, in return, we will have lasting impact if you're successful. 
Yeah. And then we we realize, hey, we're not going to be embarrassed, even though maybe right now you feel like, oh, man, it's like these things are difficult and hard. But you realize it's like in 10 years, we're confident. Yeah. The kind of experience we talk about, the kind of things we that, that we want to enable, no one else is doing it. So yeah. in, in some time, people are going to look back and we're going to look back and say we deliver something of tremendous value. Yeah. How big that value is, nobody really knows because we don't know how, when. Exactly. Yeah. It's so exciting. And, and this is where all the future products are going to be built is this element of coordination is going to be less of less centralized. It's going to be more peer to peer. It's going to be enable all sort of new experience. We don't know when that's the norm. Just yeah. like these days, you have a certain expectation when you download an app on your phone mm -hmm. or your every computer, you have a certain expectation that's just there. We don't know when that's happened, but you kind of know this is inevitable. Yeah. You don't feel like it's inevitable. And you look back to look ourselves and say, hey, we're right there. We're going to be the one that enabled this. Yeah. Because no one else seems to be doing it. Well, no, it will happen because like you see it as a trend already, where if you were a writer, let's say 10 years ago or 10 or 15 years ago, you wanted to be associated with like a large new newspaper or something. Mm -hmm because you valued that brand association. It kind of helped to propel like your work in some way. But now we've shifted to like everyone has their own brand because there's platforms out there that enable you to reach people. And we see the same thing in the music world as well, where like a long time ago, you had to uh, partner with a record company in order to go big because mm -hmm. yep. the microphones and all that stuff were so expensive. It was like a hardware cost. But now er like people, People can make an album in their own bedroom. They can distribute it to the whole world all by themselves. So there's already this theme about, yeah. okay, I'm disassociating myself on the creation side. And then I think the next step is how to dissociate the consumption side. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's no well. bad side to making the artists and fans be able to be closer. Like there's just no bad side to it. So I'm confident that it's going to happen. You, you, you said it really well. Well, we already seen some example of success. It's just not common. It's not for everybody. It's still very, very difficult for most of the creator. It's still a very, very difficult path. They still have to look for that break and somebody believing them and help them. The label still play a role. But in some time, you see that changing. And that's exactly what's happening. Uh, that's what, why if you look all in long-term horizon, you see that inevitability, that change will come. And yeah. then hopefully we won't be talking about Web3. We're just talking about whatever, whatever the use case is, right? yeah. is that yeah, is happening yeah. in the world. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time. I'm, I'm really, really grateful that you took the time to speak with us and hope to meet you in person at some point in, in the future. I'm sure it'll happen. I'm sure it will. Thank you for having me.